Hi there, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast and the first part of 2021. Listen, it starts here, okay? It's the final episode of the third series before we do our wrap-up episode next week. But the fact that it's the first week of 2021 means we have big plans and they're coming your way this year. The first thing I want to let you know about is that we're going to be bringing you some high-performance highlights every single day in January on social media, small clips from the podcast, just to lift you up and help you feel inspired, new year, new you, all that kind of stuff. Um, So every single day, come to the High Performance Podcast for a little hit of inspiration. And of course, you can get an awful lot more by heading to our YouTube page as well. Just search for High Performance Podcast on YouTube and you can find us there. As always, it's so helpful if you can rate and review us. And as always, this week's episode, the first of 2021, is one you need to listen to. Here's what's coming up. People gave me this platform. I know I worked as hard as I could, but without people supporting me, and I've got to be the voice for the people as well when they need me. I'm not just a sportsman. I'm far more than that. Oh, I'm so excited to bring you this episode. And actually, at this point, I'm going to give lots of credit to Damien Hughes because um, he was like a dog with a bone. He had a friend who knew today's guest. He reached out to them and he reached out to them again and again and again. And eventually, the call came to say that our guest would be on the podcast. We were so excited. And as it turns out, he really enjoyed himself. I feel like he got a lot out of it and I really hope that you do as well because the messages that he has and what he stands for are so strong. Just to let you know that the first couple of answers you hear, the audio quality isn't great, but we corrected the problem and so stick with it for a couple of minutes and you will be able to hear our guest an awful lot better. Thanks so much for being with us. It's time for the first high performance podcast episode of 2021. Enjoy. You're listening to the High Performance Podcast, the pod that delves into the minds of some of the most successful artists, visionaries, entrepreneurs and sports people on the planet with one aim, to unlock the secrets to their success so that you too can live a high performance life. 
Professor Damien Hughes, expert in high achieving team cultures, is with me as ever. Um, and today's guest, Damien, is a combination of someone who is hugely inspiring to young boys and girls growing up in difficult circumstances like he did, but actually equally inspiring to the high achieving professionals that he spends his day either competing with or competing against. And that tells us quite a lot about him, I think. Absolutely, Jake. There's a phrase, a really key phrase that keeps coming back to me in relation to today's guest. It's a Zulu phrase called Ubuntu, which translates as I am because you are. And it's almost about I lift others up and I do that through my own example. And today's guest is just a perfect epitome of somebody that does precisely that. Well, let's meet him then. Um, A man who lifts others by his own actions. Because today we talk to a trailblazer, a man who's done something nobody on the planet managed before him the first ever black man to captain the spring box but that is so much more than just a sporting role as he lifted the 2019 rugby world cup above his head he lifted with it the hopes and the dreams of millions of young south africans who know that life is not about where you start but it's about where you finish welcome to the high performance podcast sia colisi thank you so much thank you to both of you what an honor and a privilege to be uh, chatting to you guys well, listen, the honour and the privilege is all ours, Sia. So let's start as we always do. In your mind, what is high performance? Um, to me, it's basically uh, performing like at the highest level for, um, of a con- consistency and continuously, and not only physically, but mentally as well. And for me, the mental part is the most important part for me. I think if your mind is not in it, you, you will never get anywhere. Sia, I asked a mutual friend of ours, to describe you to me. And he said that your greatest quality is that you treat everybody the same, whether it's a cleaner, whether it's a celebrity. He said the greatest quality that you possess is the consistency in the way that you treat them. In fact, he did actually pay you a compliment. He said that you were the best hugger that he'd ever met in his life. So I'm really interested. What qualities do you look for in people to decide whether they're good people and whether they're somebody that you can help or not? I think it's the way they treat me and how they treat the people. We've been at a restaurant, the, the, wait, the waiters, the waitresses. It, that, that's so important. I think a lot of people kind of forget the, the simple like manners, you know. And that's what I was taught from a young age. And I still have the, that's what I still carry with me. Everything else disappears. I still take that with me. What I learned at school, getting up when an, an elderly walk in the room, morning ma'am, morning sir, and all those kind of things. And I treat people the way that I would want them to treat me. And that's what I speak, like what we speak at, at, my, at our foundation with my wife and the team. The way we help people during COVID, I think of myself like this. If I didn't make it in rugby, I would have been one of those people that were receiving the packages or whatever the donations were. And I always tell my team, I don't want us to help people the way I would, want to, would have wanted to be helped as well. And it's the same as my kids. I treat people the way that I want my kids to see and they can, whatever I do, they must be able to do that as well. So I put that, that's the kind of thing. And I want people to always feel important when they see me. And sometimes I fail at it, you know. Sometimes it gets a lot and I won't lie, I'm not perfect. It gets a lot. People want a photo there and I've had a long day on with my family. And sometimes I, I, like, I can't deal with it because it hits me when I treat someone badly because I've been a fan too of someone, you know. And if they say no to me, it hurts me a lot. I always go bad. So I always try and make everybody feel special. 
my teammates know when they come in, I hug the stormers now. I'm hugging them when they walk in because I don't know what they've been through. I don't know whether they need that hug a lot. And sometimes I need that hug and I give it to a person. I want people to feel that they connect with you. It can't just end with work. And that's about it because some people need this kind of stuff. And where I'm from, you know, we don't speak about emotions when I was young. I never heard my cinema dad cry. The only time I see him cry when he was fighting with someone. It was violence, all those kind of things. Now I want to change that narrative. I don't want to be living in that world as well men are just hardcore all we do is get money bring money home buy food and that's about it we don't cry we drink and we do all those kind of things the women do this i'm trying to change the narrative that i grew up in because the world is different now because women work nowadays women bring money home and all that kind of stuff and men must also be vulnerable men must cry men must hug each other and tell each other they, they, they love each other it's stuff that i grew up and I didn't get when I was young, and I'm trying to to make it normal now for other people, so they don't suffer like I, I did. So, how often in the in the changing rooms, whether it's at your club or with the Springboks, do you talk to your teammates and your coaches about emotion, vulnerability, mental struggles? Because these are the things that in professional sport were not on the agenda even just a, one decade ago. I've only started like coming out really now since after the World Cup, especially like with gender-based violence. Because I believe a whole lot of that starts with men not being, not having a vulnerable place. Men talking to one another and not and having like an, an argument and it always ends up in a fight if we don't agree on something. And my mother and my aunt were victims of gender-based violence. And my wife knows that. So she's been encouraging me, you have to speak up because men don't really speak up about gender-based violence. Most men say it's a woman's problem, but it's not. We are the we are the perpetrators. We are the problems here, and we have to stand up and call each other out. And especially us men that I've seen so much of playing rugby and everything like that. So I started speaking now because with my voice it carries a lot of weight for especially young people, you know, and people around the world. And I want to make sure that I don't waste it. I use it for those who don't have a voice or those who are not heard. And some people might listen to me more than someone else so i started using it and now we we talk in our team you know about a lot of this stuff is the stormers you know we even we have to pay international aid and it's a very important like just talking like to my teammate i have my teammate called chris fanzel we sat around the fire the other day i've known him for so many years but we had a conversation at that fire that brought us so much closer we spoke about deeper stuff my family what like what we having right now what i play for what my motivation is and and what what hurts me and what I don't like, you know, it made me feel so good. It made me feel so much closer to him. And now, like, I'll do anything to play for that guy because I know what he stands for and he knows what I stand for, you know. And and I think that's some stuff that we, we're missing as men, you know, those kind of conversations, especially in the sporting environment. In that very macho sports environment at the Stormers and with the Springboks then, here, what do you see are the benefits to the team's performance by you being more vulnerable and more open about your emotions? I honestly think if I get to know you as my teammate, far beyond the rugby field, what you stand for, what drives you, you know, some maybe your struggles, you know, or things that have hurt you, like it draws me closer, you know. Then you, you can't, you, you understand the person himself, you understand, not the sportsman, you understand the person, why are you doing it? Because there's always a why on what you're doing. You don't just play... To play some people play play for money but there's always something far deeper than that and for me like the more i know of you the more i want to go out there and fight for you you know 
But I will still perform to my best, even if I don't know you, because you're obviously performing for your country and for your team. You get paid to do this. But like, I'll get up at three o'clock in the morning if you call me and say you're in trouble. You know, it goes so much deeper than that, and it brings you so much closer. And that's what I found out with my teammates. You know, now myself and Chris, I call him at any time. Like I think about him, I miss him. Like, I wonder how he's doing, how's his family going. And that makes it so much bigger than just on the field. Because sometimes you play with an amazing team. And you never talk to each other again after you want something. And I don't like that. You know, I want that relationship, you know, to make sure that it's not just what's happening on the field. There's so much more in, in life. And you, you, you exist in a world of fine margins, Sia. So let's say in the World Cup final against England, two very evenly matched teams going toe to toe. Do you think that one of the reasons why you won that and, and you have been a successful player is because you've created that relationship with your teammates that's more than just about rugby so that when you're really up against it when your back is against the wall when your face is covered in mud and you're tired you're pulling each other along you're a genuine band of brothers yeah i mean did you I mean, did you watch the the documentary yeah did you like did you see how our coach knows us yeah 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 that is what like gets me going when you speak to me you don't speak to the sea or the rugby player he speaks to me, to, 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 to my soul, to what I stand for, what, what means so much to me. He knows what I play for. I play for the kid in the township so that I can change. And the stuff that was happening in our country with the gender-based violence, there were people dying, like, it was crazy. And he's reminded us, like, this is what the country that we come from. But all of these struggles and problems make us so much stronger and we are not under pressure. We are actually privileged because we are playing what we produce on that field can put a, a smile on someone for it can change the whole country's mood. If you think you're under pressure now, think about where you come from, how you didn't have food. It's only 80 minutes. You can change the narrative for the next kid who is in the same situation as you. But by you winning this, you can get all these like people working with you and you can go back and change the narrative for the next couple of kids. So when he started speaking like that, in the in, in that final game, it became far, it became personal because for me personally, for what I played for, and then for us as a team, we were playing for South Africa. It wasn't about us anymore. It was about the country itself, the whole mood of the country. What could this win do for us? And when he was finished talking, I, I was I wasn't even thinking about losing. Then it, it, to me, it was game over. So during domestic games, this is one of the great paradoxes that I observe when I watch you see that. I know that you're humble and kind and decent, and yet when you step onto that field, you're almost a different person. You know, you have this controlled aggression or an anger that seems to drive you. How do you channel that on a weekly basis when you are there playing for the Stormers and then obviously when you're playing international rugby for the Springboks? It's hard. Like, like, I, like I said, I grew up around a lot of violence and I really don't like violence anymore. Um... <laughs> my wife always tells me she wonders what would happen if someone had to break in the house. I tell because she's like I'm too chilled. Like she doesn't know, you know. I I used to fight a lot when I was young. Every weekend when because I, I stayed in boarding school, and whenever I go back to the township, I'd go out. You know, some of the guys challenge you. You have to prove yourself that you haven't changed. You're not soft anymore. So I'll get into a lot of fights and I would see violence at home between my dad and and my and my uncle and then my someone hitting my aunt or my mom and and shouting and screaming like doesn't really like work with me because it just brings back a lot of all those memories all the stuff that i used to see 
And now I've become more chilled. So when I get on the field, I'm not playing to hurt someone else. I'm just playing. I'm giving my best. I want to hit you as hard as I can with the shoulder, like in the right places because yeah. I respect you because I prepare for you and I want to give my best for you. And as soon as the whistle is, is blown and it's over, then after that, I'm done. You know, I'm smiling. I'm greeting the guys. You know, I kind of control it that way. But obviously, I make it personal. I don't want the my opposite number to dominate me in the game, you know. So I, I always prepare and give my best to the field. But I make sure that it's as clean as possible. I never go in and try and hit someone's knee so he doesn't play again. So I, I make sure, like, when I'm thinking and I'm playing, like, that whatever I do, I'm, I'm, I'm make, like, the other guy, I want to do something to someone that they, they would do to me. Like, I don't want someone to come and try and hurt me all day long so I don't play again. So how, Sia, do you protect what you've created? Because Sia Khaleesi, captain of the Springboks, um, runs an amazing foundation that's all wonderful. But what if the teammates that are around you are not putting in the required effort to allow you to win? What if the coach isn't um, coaching you in a way that means you can be the best captain you can be? What if the, your colleagues at your foundation are not caring in the way that you do? You have to find a way to protect what you've created. So I'm, in, I'm interested. It's all been very kind and friendly and positive so far. What's Seal Khaleesi like with people that don't come up to the standard that he requires? To be honest, I, I haven't been in a situation like that because the people that I have around me and the people that um, mentor me and guide me are all basically in the same mindset as I'm in, especially the people in the foundation. They they all, they, they don't get paid, man. They all volunteer to, to work with the foundation. So we haven't got into a place where that has that has been tested, and obviously my teammates, whoever I play want to play with, we all want to be successful, you know. And I've always been fortunate enough to have coaches around me. Every teammate you've ever played with has come up to your standards, huh? That's quite remarkable. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, I mean, I've been poor at times. I mean, I, I've had my seasons where I've been horrible, you know. And 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 yeah, you you, you get that's how it is in South Africa. That's what I've realized. You get dropped if you don't perform to. To, to your standard, but you always, what you can do, you just m motivate one another because I've been there. I know what it feels like not to get chosen. I know what it feels like to have a horrible season. It's all about like making sure that you, you to yourself, do what you need to do. You always have to look at yourself. Are you giving your best? That's the most important thing. I can't control what everybody else does, you know, but I know I can only lead when I'm doing my best on the field. I don't like talking a lot. You know, a lot of people think I have these inspirational speeches and stuff. I prefer playing as hard as I can, you know, and I can't control what my teammate does, but I can control what I say to him and how I treat him. But what he produces in the field, sometimes he's just having a horrible season. What can, there's nothing you can do about that. Everybody goes, goes through that. But that's why, like, when you have good, good and strong coaches around, they'll realize that and they'll see what they can do with the players. But you are right. I have been with coaches who don't see eye to eye with me and who doesn't like the world. What, what can I do with that? Then I just, I try and be my best in what I do. And that's all I can do. I try and control what I can control. It's just be at my best. And sometimes, yeah, it doesn't work. I get dropped and and I sit on the, on the touchline. I almost gave up the one time in the previous, like, Previous World Cup, I never got to play. It was tough for me. I never got chosen. I played like my first game. I got my first cap. I got men of the match, and then I was on the bench for the rest. I never played again in that. In that. How era. do you deal with that, Sia? Do you internalize it? Are there certain people that you speak to? Yeah, now there are. That time there wasn't. There was like I just like I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is like 
what can I do? Like, I had to keep on working. And then I started looking for contracts elsewhere in the world. And, and then, yeah, I decided to stay, you know, and then I stayed, I pushed, and then I started getting my opportunities after that. So you mentioned that there's a perception of you as a captain that you're often expected to be able to deliver inspirational speeches and going around motivating people. But instead, I observed that you seem to be a quiet leader. For example, I've heard you speak about that occasion when you were playing England and you found yourself 20 points down and you admitted that you didn't know what to do here. And so instead, you went and spoke to a couple of your teammates and asked them to speak up to the group instead. Now, that to me took real courage. But would you tell us a little bit more about that particular incident and also about the benefits of your more quieter leadership style? I think what I like about my leadership or about me, it's not, it's not actually my leadership. That's just who I am. I know what I don't know, you know, and I know what others around me have and I make sure I make full use of the people around me. You can't be everything at all times. I don't speak half of the time, man. I'm quiet because we have different leaders in our group and sometimes you don't appeal to everyone. Like a different group of people maybe responds more to this person. Let them be that. And that's how I feel because I'm secure in myself. I know who I am and what I stand for and what type of leader I am. And I know my strong points too. Some guys know the game far more than me. Like a guy like Andre, he knows the game, he runs the game. And I was comfortable with that. And I'll go to him like, dude, I don't know what to do. What do you think we should do here? He's like, don't worry, I got it. And that's what happened against England. It was my first time being captain for the Springbok team. And how I imagined is that we're going to come there and just destroy England. And then England came in and started destroying us the first couple of minutes. And I freaked out, man. I just stood there and said, Dwayne, you speak. I don't know what to say anymore. Because I didn't want to act all strong and bold in heart. I'm like, no. I'm actually, I might even spoil this. And my teammates will never respect me again. We had different players who were in charge of different things. And that's what we used. And I wasn't scared of that. And I wasn't, I never felt, oh no, why am I not speaking? I'm not speaking enough. No, I never felt. Because it's not about me. The most important thing is the team. And you must know what kind of leaders you have around you. Make full use of them. Make sure they work with you. Don't work against them at all. So what I find fascinating is that I know there was real criticism in the media about that afterwards when commentators started saying, well, who is going to be the captain within this team? So how did you deal with that? You must always remember, there's always been people criticising and all that kind of stuff. But I know what's happening. I don't care what everybody else thinks from the outside. If my teammates know what's happening, my coach knows what's happening, why, who should I impress on the outside? I wanted to comment because there was, remember there was one time they, we were playing Wales and, uh, and Dwayne got the mic on the ear. And then that's why people started saying, okay, this guy's a real captain. But they didn't see that after that, Dwayne went off because he couldn't go on anymore. That's what they were checking. Can you go on? But I do get irritated because some people use that to start dividing the team or dividing things. But luckily, our coach is so on point that he was like, why should you listen to that? Focus here. And then we just focus on that. And they always fell away. All the people that criticize, they just get tired and fall away anyway. And we kept on moving forward. And has that been a process, Sia, to get to a point where you don't give credit to other people's external opinions or validation of you? Because I think we live in a world now with social media, 24-hour rolling news, there's critics everywhere. All of us seem to now be lured into caring what other people think. How, how did you get to a place where you're strong enough not to worry about that? 
It's the people I have around me, to be quite honest. Because I used to, I was one of those people that I know if I played well or not by reading the comments on on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. And then, like the coaches will tell you, the only people you have to impress is me and your teammates. That's the only people's respect that you need to gain. And then you start fading away. And then I started, I I went off social, uh, Twitter, you know, I went off social media. And then I started just focusing on what my teammates were saying around me. And then you'll have someone tell you played horrible. And then you think you play horrible. Then I go watch the game. And I'm like, actually, I played well. Look at all the things that I had to do. Because sometimes your role is different. You know, my, I used to run a lot with the ball. Then my role changed. Then I had to chase. I had to tackle. I have to do this kind of stuff. Other people don't see that, but my coach sees it. You know, that's one of the things that the coach told us. The biggest the cricketers that, that you must listen to are right here. You are the best people in the country that are, are here to represent the country right now. Why should you listen to someone who's just sitting at home? It's not easy though. So do you go on social media now? And if you do, do you find it affects you negatively or do you avoid it? Uh, I try not to read, but I do read. Sometimes it does. Uh, it depends on what it is, you know, on the game. I know when I've played all, when, I'm, when I've played badly, so I don't need somebody to tell me. So I don't really care much about that, but I don't go too much on it, especially when it's about rugby. I stay away, you know. Um, I, I normally focus mostly on the social issues happening, happening around because there's so... There's so much more important thing than what you do on the field. You know, there's people dying each and every day. There's, you know, there's hungry people. There's people who don't have water. And I'm like, if I, I if I give my best at training and I give my best on the game and it doesn't go my way, hey, maybe it's not my day. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile, I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift, and many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go, the neuroscience-based personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. The foundation work that you do, Sarah, is incredible. And the way that you're speaking out about gender-based violence is, is also just equally powerful. But how do you deal with those people that are uncomfortable with you being a rugby player who is choosing to step outside of your role and challenge these bigger societal issues. Yeah, I've heard it so much over and over. Remember, you're a human being before you before anything else. All of these um, issues are all like, those are crimes against humanity. People should have water. People shouldn't be like raped in the street. People shouldn't leave, uh, lose their children. I'm a father. I don't want that to happen. I've got people that I care about. Like, I don't have to wait for them to be heard before I start speaking. I've got a voice, I've got a platform, and I gotta use it for good, not just for me. That's a, that's another thing. Your platform is not, it's not mine. People gave me this platform. I know I worked as hard as I could, but without people supporting me, and I've gotta be the voice for the people as well when they need me. I'm not just a sportsman. I'm far more than that. Rubbish. I, I can be more than a sportsman. You can't bottle me and put me in, in a small bucket like that. That's not how, how, how life is, you know. And I think I've seen so many sportsmen who've been able to, to do like so much and like what Marcus Rashford is doing in, in, in England. Bro, that's what I respect him more than this because there will be better soccer players than, than he will be. But to me, he will remain in my heart. I'll remain thinking about it. I'll never forget what he's done because he's spoken to my story when I was a kid when I wished I had someone like that. And that's what the person that I want to be. You can forget everything I achieved on the field because someone else will come and break all those records. Someone else will be the next uh, captain to, 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 to lift the trophy. But the work that you do then, the life that you touch will remain for, for the end of time, because that person that you touch will touch someone else, then you touch someone else, and that's how you change the world, and that's how you change what's happening around. Always speak a message of unity instead of division, because a lot of people are trying to divide. In our country, there's a lot of different social issues, you know, but people make us fight against each other because we're fighting for so different social issues, but we're not the enemy. The people in power, this them that we're challenging. And hopefully one day, when all these issues have been fought, that we can all maybe one day fight for the same issue, you know, when we fought for all of the others, we can stand, because there's nothing stronger than that. When people from different walks of life 
different backgrounds, different races are standing together for one, like fighting for the same thing. Nothing beats that. And a conversation is what's needed. You need to talk to someone. So when you lifted the Rugby World Cup above your head in 2019, Sia, was that important for you because it was a sporting achievement that you'd wanted to achieve all your life? Or was it important for you because of everything else that it represented? I, I never dreamt, I never thought in a million years I would ever be be there. But what got to me the most is my wife told me this. She says, a lot of people dream about this stuff. You never, you never dreamt of it because you didn't have the privilege of being able to dream like that. A lot of people dream about it, but they don't prepare for it when it happens. What are you going to do? What, like she said, what are we going to do when we win? And remember the night before, we wrote down the stuff that we want to do. We want to start our foundation. These are the challenges that we want to tackle in our country. There's only one challenge we haven't, we haven't done. We, we said we wanted to build a, a model school in the township with the boarding school. That's one thing that we haven't done. Everything else we wrote in that piece of paper because she believed that we were going to win. I also believed. And we were able to achieve all of those things by lifting that World Cup. And I, I, like all this stuff that we do, is not without my teammates, there's no ways I could have achieved this. And anything that I do, I always say, like, I thank those guys because this is part of their work. It's great for the sporting, but what I can do, what we can do, the amount of work we were able to do during COVID, and we started the foundation, which wasn't even formed yet, we didn't even have a name yet, and we we're already well helping, buying a PPE, buying um, food for people so we can help them stay at home because people lost jobs. And that touched me and then I could travel during the lockdown. I traveled 16,000 kilometers around the country. People asked me how I was lockdown. For me, it was flipping amazing from my family point of view. Yeah, it was tough not being able to play rugby, but when I saw how people lived, people without water, there's a picture, I was, remember we were driving in Limpopo and it had just rained and we were driving over a puddle of water, a big puddle of water, and we saw this lady with the baby on her back and she had buckets and she got some water from, from that pond. And there were dogs drinking from it and boys swimming from it. I asked her, what's the water for? And she said, it's to drink, it's to cook, it's to wash her clothes and it's to wash her body. And fortunately, we were there to, we did two boreholes, so they got water that day. So yeah, and I said then to myself and I'm like, how, how can I say I struggled? I had water when I was young, you know, and, and, and didn't eat every now and then. So what? There's people here who are facing so much worse than I did. And and I and I said to myself, I can never be satisfied with feeding one person or donating food somewhere or doing this here. There's so much more. I must be the people that I'm helping, I must be telling them that when you get the opportunity, please help the next one. What are the greatest gifts that you're giving people through your foundation, as well as all the physical help and support that you're obviously offering? It seems to be about teaching people the power of having a dream. So what advice would you give to anybody that is facing difficult or tough times at the minute, Sia? Advice relating to having that dream or the ambition that things and life in general can be better. I'll tell you now, when I was in the township and I was, when my grandma was still alive, I didn't think, I didn't imagine or think that I was going to make it out of the, That wasn't in my mind. I was living in the moment. I was happy. I struggled financially. I struggled. I couldn't get food and all that stuff, but I was rich. I was happy. I had love for my grandmother. I had time. I had support. And... That is all I needed at the time. You know, when I got a meal, I got a meal, you know. I just focused on, on whatever I had and I used it as much as I could, you know. And then when I started getting opportunity, then I started dreaming a little bit. And that's what, what I realized in that period that I control my own happiness. 
all this that I have now, I was happier when I was poor. Obviously, I'm grateful for all of this. It makes my life better. But I, I was I was more at peace. You know, I didn't expect much. And it's, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I actually want to change people's lives so that they don't live like that. Because every I believe every kid should get an, a fair opportunity in life. A kid sh- should get a fair opportunity from his own background, his own culture, that they don't have to leave and go somewhere else and learn a whole new different language, which was really hard, you know. Just have a dream, believe in it, and work as hard as you can. Don't let family members or anybody who couldn't achieve their dreams or live their dreams tell you that you can't make it. You, you, you're the only person that can fight and believe in your dream and nobody will believe in your dream more than you do. You just gotta be willing to fight, man, with everything you can to, to, to make whatever it is that you want to be. See, it's been uh, such an inspiring 45 minutes to, to sit and talk like this. Um, we always finish our podcast with a few quickfire questions. Um, so the first one is, we always ask people, what are the three non-negotiable behaviours that people around you have to buy into? Okay, respect, loyalty, and I, I would say love or kindness all in one word. What advice would you give to a teenage seer just starting out? <laughs> I would say yeah, dream as big as you want, like, because it's, it's all possible. Obviously, the, like, my, like what, what I achieved, I never, like, talk about, like, what, what it meant for my community. I didn't understand why people were so happy when I became captain, why it was just such a big thing. And then one of my friends sat down with me and said, listen, for so many years, no kid with the same same skin skin color you or background from yours would ever dream of something like this. Now they have a reference point. You are that reference point. Now, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you can dream to become this. And that's how I look at Lewis Hamilton too. It's one of my favorite sportsmen in the whole wide world. Like the, I have so much respect for him for what he's I've been able to ch- to achieve, and the story of how his father worked for me that's like a dream for me. I actually sent him a message and I told him I said, Louis, like that picture of you hugging your father, it's something that a lot of young black sports or men or, or or girls dream about because we don't get like some of us don't get that opportunity to get your father out of everyone believe in you so much, you know, and we, we love our fathers and our mothers and everything, but like our fathers, it's, it's big in our communities that they, 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 they're not there. And I told him, I'm like, this is so powerful. And I was like, you know, you, you must never take that for granted because some of us would, would love that opportunity. And I'm hoping that I'm the same example to kids, like being there for my kids, fighting each and every single day to, to be with my family, trying to, to, to show a good example of a black parent. I, obviously, I saw it a little bit in my community, but when I started seeing how it is, like family-wise, I was jealous to see my mates at school when they can come get picked up, how they kiss their parents in their cheek, they hug their ass. Yo, that's what I do now with my kids because I don't want them to lack that or see it somewhere else. They must see it, yeah. What is your one golden rule to living a high-performance life? I think the hardest thing for me is to get up in the morning. You got to know who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. And that's what gets me up. Sometimes I don't want to get up. I put on snooze so many times. I miss breakfast. Sorry, my, my daughter is... Say hello to the uncles. Hey, Sia, now that your daughter's joined us, it's a good opportunity just to ask. You have such resilience and such self-belief because of where you came from. Your beautiful daughter who's sitting in your lap right now, she is seeing a wonderful life in South Africa. What do you do to make sure that your children understand what the world is really like 
and have the resilience that you had to go and do great things themselves? It's actually hard to to explain to them because of how they're living right now. It's hard to get them to understand what we had to go through. So we take them with every now and then to some of the work that we do and we show them where I come from. You know, I take them home, I take them to my family. They can get to see how I worked, you know, but they still don't understand, you know. But I always tell them, like, sharing, like, sharing is, is, is so important, you know, and, and always looking out if the other person has... Um, or they need something and you know to help them out and also for them to work as hard as they can uh, for what they want because it's not just given you know so many people don't have the opportunities that they they have but they're so young that they just laugh at me or look at me funny when I tell them these things but I always try and take them with me to come work and when we're packing the food we explain to them why we're packing this food because we don't actually take them to see the people because we always want people to have the dignity. So we make sure there's no cameras anymore when people come and pick up the food. But yeah, the older they get, the more they will understand and they, they all see, I mean, they, they know when Dada is not here, when Daddy is not here during lockdown, he's gone and trying to help, to help someone. They know, they will know already by the time they get older. Listen, um, Sia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. For you to have captained the Springboks and then lifted the Rugby World Cup as a black man, lots of people would have gone, do you know what? I'm done. That's what I've achieved. What I think is incredible about your story is that the night before you did that, you chose to write down what you were going to achieve after you lifted the Rugby World Cup. And it's about what you're going to do, not what you have done. And that is, um, that's a very rare quality. You got to think, man, you, your life is like only a certain amount of time. And obviously you have to be successful in what you do. You got to give your best my first and foremost job is to play rugby and play rugby well. That's what pays for my kids' school fees and everybody else. But that's going to end somewhere along the line. And people will break all the records that you've broken. People will be better than you will ever be. There will be a new person with a new inspirational story. What have you done in the period that you were, you had the platform, the time that you had the audience? That's emotional. And it's not even about me. It's about how many lives have I touched in that period of time. And I think... That's one thing I love about myself. I don't care much about me. It's all about the next person because the people that looked after me, like my grandmother would go days without eating. She didn't care much about herself. All she cared about is see her looked after. And that's what I've taken from her. And, and I was young. She died in my arms when I was, I think, eight or nine years old. I mean, she looked after me and she died in my arms in the kitchen. I'll never forget the day. One of the saddest days ever, but one of the proudest days I'll ever remember with me because... She raised me and looked after me and she was able to, like she died with me and I was able to say goodbye to the person that changed my life and made me the person that I am today. And it was hard because I was nine and I don't think I've registered what happened then. It's something that I still need to sort out and, and, and talk about. But I find joy in that, that she chose to do it with me, you know, and that just made me so happy because I wish all of the, what I have now I could give to her and show to her and, and, and show her. I know she's looking down at me like and show like everything you've taught me, I'm still here, I'm still standing. I didn't go to prison. I didn't do this. I'm alive and I'm doing well. I'm touching other people's lives. And your friends that used to help you are now being helped because of you. Because cause it's her because I'm here. And obviously all the other people as well. See ya. God bless and thanks very much for your time, man. Yeah, thank you, see ya. It's been an absolute privilege. Damien. Jake. Uh, where do we begin? <laughs> I think that phrase that I used at the start, Ubuntu, I am because you are, 
is, I think, a perfect encapsulation of everything that we've just spoken about. You know, this is a man that puts other people above himself and seems to do that by leading by example. And I don't know, I think hearing one of our high-performing interviewees use the non-negotiable behaviour of kindness, to me, I just found it really quite humbling, but incredibly powerful. I also love the fact that this is a guy who is operating in one of the most brutal sports on the planet, right? And he's got to the absolute top. He's, he's won the World Cup in that sport. Yet here he is on our podcast talking about grief, talking about kindness, talking about mental health, talking about sharing things with his teammates. This is a conversation with a rugby player that you just haven't had in the past. And I, if, it makes me feel good about the world of rugby, about the world of sport, about the world that we're kind of emerging into. Definitely. You know, I think this conversation 20 years ago would have been unthinkable. 10 years ago, it was still on the fringes of of society. And yet now you've got an iconic captain of the world champions talking openly about making time to speak and get to know another human being, you know, to be vulnerable. And, and talking like that, I just found incredibly powerful. I mean, if you want to view this just through a pure competitive lens, if you listen to the things he was saying that I'll run harder, I'll fight more stridently with more passion for somebody that I care about than somebody that is just a teammate in the same shirt. But I just think on a wider human level, the world is a better place when you have iconic leaders like Sia that are prepared to lead by example. I thought it was really interesting, actually, what he said about emotionally connecting with his teammates rather than them just being teammates in a sport. They are emotionally connected so that when they are really up against it, that's when that little edge of, of the connection between them comes into play and, and makes them successful. Yeah, well, you know, people will try hard for a team, but they'll die for a family. And I think the more you can move along that axis of creating an environment where people just enjoy being in each other's company, where they get pleasure out of being alongside their friends rather than just viewing them as colleagues... I think that's where you start to create something, an environment that's really quite special. I mean, you can call it cohesion, team spirit, however you want to define that that phrase. But I think what's really powerful is Sia has just articulated to us how you actually go about achieving it. The whole reason for you and me doing this podcast is we believe that people like Sia Khaleesi and the other guests that have joined us so far have got something that everyone else can learn from. And yet, despite that, sometimes it feels slightly crass to me that I am putting stuff out there on social media about um, taking responsibility, not being a victim, uh, not looking for blame, because my life actually has been very nice, middle class upbringing in a Norfolk countryside, totally stable parents still together. When Sia Khaleesi comes on here and says, listen, I've been in the absolute depths of despair losing family members at a young age, living in abject poverty, unable to sleep at night because I'm so hungry. And if he sits here and says, your job is still to live the life you want, then you listen, right? You listen. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that we've both acknowledged and discussed, Jake, has been the kind of exceptionalism from some of our interviewees that, you know, it's easy to look back from the top of the mountain and claim that anyone can climb it. And I appreciate that there's often people sat there going, well, what about me? What about the challenges that I'm currently facing? 
I guarantee there'll be very few people listening to this podcast that have lived with the same kind of poverty, the trauma, the violence that Sia experienced. And yet I feel that the attributes that he's described there about working hard, being kind to others, showing gratitude, they're all attributes that are accessible for any of us. They're all techniques that we can all learn and behaviours all of us can adopt regardless of where we're starting from. Listen, mate, that was one of the great ones. Thanks very much. Yeah, I feel quite moved myself as we reflect on just how powerful that conversation was. Damien, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Jake! Here's, here's something I wanted to chew over with you, actually, this week. I, I saw um, a clip on social media, and it was a guy talking about motivation and following your passions. He said, the only people that will tell you to follow your passions are people who are already rich and successful. And what he said was, don't follow your passions. Find something you're good at. Work really hard at it. Dedicate yourself. Be relentless. All the things we talk about on the podcast. And then you'll earn good money and you'll have really great friends. And the people in that circle will also love what you're doing. So they'll be really impressed. And so they'll take you out for dinner and you'll go on nice holidays with them. And your life will slowly get lifted up by finding something you're good at. And what he was saying is that's when the passion comes because even if it's biochemistry and you don't wait, you don't grow up wanting to be a biochemist or whatever, it gives you such great rewards that you feel passionate about it because you're like, wow, I do this, I get a reward. And I've always looked at life from the angle of find your passion rather than find the thing you're good at and your passion will flow naturally from that. It's an interesting one that I'm kind of debating to start the new year. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point i i still think that there's something that precedes that idea of to find something that you're good at there must be something that engages you so if you ever look at like young kids have a look for like that that mouth open moment where they'll see something and they're absolutely absorbed by it or they're intrigued about it and i think that's the bit that engages you to then want to learn to be good at it to try something different and then like say i can see that then pursuing it opens up choices it gives you more opportunities more experiences within it so i agree with that point but i still think there's a there's a moment that precedes it that's more around finding something that really intrigues and absorbs you so many comments about the interview with tyro mings this week i mean if i just pick out a few um jihan saying Probably the best one so far. An amazing insight into a genuine lad's journey. Paul Wilcox. This pod is brilliant on so many levels. I was particularly struck by Tyrone's vulnerability. Uh, Jack on YouTube. Sick interview. Mings gave great insight and massively respect his honesty. Um, Joe Batten. This is one of the best ones yet. An excellent example that when you think you've reached your destination, you've only really started. Hashtag always learning. Almost every comment from Chris Bright, Mr. Herbert, Philip Connolly, Mr. James, Kieran, Damien, loads of people getting in touch and all of them realising they didn't know Tyrone Mings at all. Well, I think that's been a big part for so many people. I remember hearing people uh, make similar comments after listening to Phil Neville, for example, where it's challenged perceptions. It's easy to see somebody on, on a TV screen for a few minutes and then think that you know them or think that you can make some judgment about them. But I'd go back to your iceberg analogy. You're only seeing a small percentage of the person. There's so much more going on beneath the surface. And I think, again, for Tyrone to understand his journey, you know, living in a homeless shelter at some stage during his life, being rejected 
after 10 years at Southampton, being a mortgage um, broker, you know, um, then having that injury when he went to Bournemouth. There's just so much more that we might know the detail, but then to hear the collateral impacts and the consequences of that and how somebody's used it to shape them, then have to lead you. If you've got a human bone in your body, it leads to empathy and understanding and appreciation. Well, I've loved doing these and I can't wait to see what the reaction is to this week's episode with Sia Kulisi. And um, we have big plans, don't we, Damien? 2021 is going to be the year for the High Performance Podcast, I think. What do you reckon? Yeah, I hope so. I I hope we continue the momentum with it. I think it's been uh, a real privilege to be involved in it. And like you say, a big driver for us is outcomes for people, not incomes, and giving people a sense that they can take some of these principles of high performance and introduce them whether it's in their own personal or professional or social lives so I hope we can continue having that impact on people and people still come with us on the journey absolutely and look Damien and myself and the entire high performance podcast team we love doing this we love the fact that you can access this stuff for free whether it is um, all of the little clips we put out on social media and you can find the podcast at high performance on instagram whether it's um, the fact that you can go to youtube and see long form clips just type in high performance podcast onto youtube and find it there or whether it's wherever you get your podcasts the key for us is that this content is free We only ask one thing, that you rate the pod and you review the pod. I can't tell you the difference it makes. It is genuinely helpful for us. So if you find any time early in this new year, please do just quickly rate and review the podcast. We would be hugely grateful. As always, huge thanks to Will O'Connor and Hannah Smith for their hard work on the podcast. Thanks as well to Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio for his hard work. As always, huge thanks to Damien. You can find him at Liquid Thinker on Instagram. But the biggest thanks of all, goes to you for sharing the pod for talking about the pod for downloading the podcast for rating it and reviewing it you're the reason why this podcast has been so high up the charts and why it's had such an impact with people so huge thanks to you and stay with us because the plans are big for 2021 and that's it pretty much for series three we're going to be back next week with a review episode and then we'll take a break for a few weeks and then we return with series four when you can hear these golden gems of knowledge Monaco's a perfect game. Imagine going out there and you're impossible to play against. Impossible. When you've got the ball, they can't get it off you. When they've got the ball, they've got so much pressure they're giving it back to you, and that's unrelenting. That would be fascinating. When Alex Ferguson came and talked, uh, he talked about the Canadian geese and that what they do is they take turns and who's the lead. One gets tired and they fall back. I'm a spiritual guy in a lot of ways, and we were getting our picture taken having won the Ryder Cup. And we're all gathered around a trophy. And then amazingly, right behind the photographers, right behind the clubhouse, this perfect V of Canadian geese flew over. That instinct is the key that unlocks inspiration, innovation and dreaming. You know, that instinct of yearning and and finding yourself sort of just drawn into using your imagination. And so that instinct for me is, I think as I've got older, I won't be pushed into positions of saying and doing something just because everybody else thinks it's the right thing to do. They talked about being true to yourself and being accountable and it's your responsibility. And so sometimes that instinct, you know, is uncomfortable, but I think that that uncomfortableness in business and in life is good for us because it causes us to challenge things in ourselves and and the world that we live in. 
So there you go. Series four of the High Performance Podcast coming your way in February. We'll see you in a week's time for the review episode at the end of series three. But for now, happy new year from all of us at the High Performance Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.